Hey, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, the weekly podcast of Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. I'm chatting with Elizabeth Freeman, my partner and collaborator on these sessions. Elizabeth, uh, this week I thought we would try a football metaphor because you know how much I love sports and particularly football. <laughs> Uh, and and the difficulty, of course, because I don't love football, have actually no idea about football. So the difficulty is I'm probably going to ball up, no pun intended, the metaphor itself. But I want to talk about quarterbacks. Here's the question we often get from clients. Should I have a conversation with you, my financial advisor, my CPA, maybe my insurance salesman, maybe my uh, repairman at the house, maybe my doctor. Uh, do I need to have a conversation with all of you at once? Do I need a whole team to, to participate in each part of the planning that, that I'm doing? Robert, it's a great question, and my answer is it depends. We get this question frequently from our clients who we help with their estate planning. We also get this question pretty frequently in probate and trust administration cases from people who just are not sure who is actually in charge of the coordination. My answer always during somebody's lifetime is, if we're your estate planning attorneys, we need your authorization to disclose any information about the attorney-client relationship we have, and that also includes any disclosure of your estate planning documents. People should not assume that just because you love your financial advisor and we know you've worked with this person for 20 years, people should not assume that if that contact calls us, we're going to share any information with him or with her. And, and, and that cuts the other way, too. I often have clients say, oh, I can't remember exactly how that's titled or how much that asset is worth. Call my stockbroker or my financial planner and they'll tell you. Well, no, actually, they won't tell us because they have the same kind of confidentiality issues that we have. Also true of your CPA. Um, we, we can't all talk to each other without your express authorization for each of us to talk to each of us. If you sign something saying, I can talk to your financial planner, that doesn't allow me to add the CPA to the conversation. Right. And I think that my goal when I'm meeting with somebody and working on their estate plans is to make sure that we have the big picture in mind. So sometimes it can be helpful to meet with their CPA, their financial advisor, if we're trying to figure out what assets to put in what trust or what assets might be distributed to somebody during the lifetime versus at somebody's death. Those are really good, I think, team kind of collaborative discussions. Sometimes we also have questions about well, Elizabeth, um, when I die, I assume you're going to be coordinating the pieces between all of these different entities. So my my CPA and my financial advisor and my insurance broker, I, you are going to be the quarterback, right? The answer is, if we're trustee, yes. Generally, we're going to be the one to coordinate the communications. We often do this as well when our client is a surviving spouse. We will put a work plan together, get the surviving spouse's approval, 
that normally would include some communications and contact with the CPA, a financial advisor, so that everybody can prepare a summary so that you're not having 10 different conversations and duplicating fees and duplicating work. So on a regular basis, we'll agree to help in those cases. But we need to have real direction about who is doing what, because as I said, Robert, it's easy to duplicate efforts. And, and the quarterback reference is exactly the football metaphor that I expected we'd be talking about. Who is the quarterback in this team discussion about your estate plan? Well, if you ask your CPA, she will say, I should be the quarterback because taxes are the ongoing most significant thing. If you talk to your financial planner, she will say, I should be the quarterback because everything uh, hinges on the investment strategy and the asset allocation and the, and the future. If you talk to the lawyer, uh, she will say, I should be the quarterback because uh, I'm a lawyer and lawyers like to be in charge of things. Uh, and and the documents are the most important consideration. So um, a team effort is really has to become a team effort because everybody thinks they know the right answer from their narrow niche of the world. Maybe the metaphor should be that blind men trying to identify an elephant metaphor instead. <laughs> I do think, Robert, having a summarized work plan, who is doing what, who is accountable for what, oftentimes is very helpful at the front end of an administration. It allows the client, if we're working with a surviving spouse or a child who's administering a parent's estate, it allows our client to see who needs to be doing work and then allows our client the opportunity to say, you know, I'm going to coordinate that piece myself or Elizabeth, can you help get all these forms that I'm going to need to sign? It, it allows our client to be better informed about the process. I find one of the most frustrating things that will happen in these estate administrations, so once somebody has died, whether we're doing a probate or a trust administration, is when there are a lot of separate conversations going on with everybody putting in their own two cents. Oftentimes we end up with an incredibly overwhelmed family member could be a surviving spouse or a child, a niece or nephew, who in in that person's grieving time is so overwhelmed with the next steps that it actually becomes hard to move ahead, particularly with any kind of coherent plan. So I try and, to the best I can, get direction from our client early on about how we're going to formulate a plan and who is accountable for what. You know, I, I want to make one more quarterback reference, and then maybe we can abandon the sports metaphors altogether. Although I will say that the special teams um, metaphor strikes <laughs> me as a as a useful analogy as well. But uh, but the but the last one I want to make is that when we're trying to choose who's going to run this this uh, conversation in order to get to your goals, you the client's goals. Um, one thing about the lawyers is that our time involved in the process is usually shorter. We are kind of special teams is where I was headed, that we are coming in to prepare the documents and advise you about how things ought to be titled. And then, absent changes in your circumstances, we can step back. We no longer need to be involved in the day-to-day operations. Though I will say that we have a constant problem of us arranging titling of assets with clients for good reasons that we have discussed 
we hand them their documents, shake their hands, well, we used to shake their hands, and tell them how much we appreciate their business and how we hope they will refer their friends and relatives to us. And then two years later, we learn that when they went back to their stockbroker or their financial planner, they were told they shouldn't have titled something that way and it's been titled a different way. Or their accountant has told them they didn't think through the income tax consequences that in fact we did think through when we chose the titling. And so they've changed the title on accounts. That happens to us all the time. And so we wish that we could have some sort of continuing relationship. Which gets me, Elizabeth, to kind of my penultimate question. Should we be having big group meetings on a regular basis with our clients, their CPAs, their financial planners, or stockbrokers, their insurance agent, and everybody else who has, a, has some input into their plan so that we're sure we're all on the same page? And how much are we going to charge for those meetings? So, Robert, the answer there, at least for me, is if my client wants to have that kind of an annual meeting or biannual or sometimes quarterly, I'm happy to sit down and and to meet with a team, but I need to know the scope of work, what you intend our role to be. I need to know that, A, to make sure that I'm meeting your expectations as a client, and B, to figure out what kind of fee I'm going to set. Because this is outside of the normal estate planning documents that we would be preparing for you as your estate planning attorney. I'd most likely be charging an hourly fee. I might set a flat fee if there was going to be a routine meeting and we knew exactly the length of time that meeting might be. But I think in general, it has to do with people's comfort, Robert. And I see people as they age, particularly folks with complex estate plans, do want the peace of mind of having a larger annual meeting. Keep in mind that if that if this is you, if you're listening to this and it sounds appealing, you have to think through the other questions. What happens if a family member, a child, somebody who may be an heir of your estate, asks to attend that meeting? All of a sudden... Or, or can I interrupt... Do you want to ask them if they would please attend? In that, some cases, maybe you want them there. That all of a sudden introduces a whole nother layer of complexity. Because again, we have an attorney-client relationship with our estate planning client. And typically, the way that that works is the conversations that we have, the decisions you make regarding your estate and why you may be making certain gifts, that is confidential. And so typically, if somebody wants to have a large meeting with advisors on an annual basis... I will typically agree to that with the understanding that it's not going to also involve beneficiaries. If somebody wants to have a family meeting about the effect of his or her estate plans and and do that with family, I usually caution against that, Robert, because it can make it harder down the road for our estate planning client to to adapt their plan and change their mind. So I'm pretty hesitant when we start to um, field questions about larger family meetings with beneficiaries. And you know, it really is true. It's worth worth pointing out, Elizabeth, that clients come to us, they know with certainty how their family relationships are gonna work. They absolutely insist often with us that their children are not like other people's children. They get along. Um, we see those clients back in three, four, five years disinheriting one of the children who has done something awful in connection with the family. Or often the reverse, somebody who they want out of their estate plan, um, they've now embraced and brought back in. I just saw clients who are in that last category just last week, 
um, and uh, and they were completely rewriting. And so, um, in your vision of how the the world is going to work on your death, recognize that we are imagining that things will change between now and your death several times. You might not be imagining that. So those meetings are really difficult to do, maybe expensive to bring all of the professionals together, but at least in complicated family dynamics and or complicated estates, it might be a good way to, uh, to, to assure that your wishes are carried out, that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and that you understand the larger picture of your estate plan. Wow, Robert, that's a lot to think about. It is. And I think we should quit now and let people think about it before I step all over the football metaphor. I think I've done okay so far, but, uh, but we've not gone very deep into the metaphor. You've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and uh, we are two of the partners of Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. We do these weekly podcasts, which we call Elder Law Issues. We hope that you will subscribe and listen again next week. Send us your questions. And until you hear from us again, um, I guess we'll talk at you next week. Thanks.